Good to be with you one more time as we come to the living word of our living God. Let's pray together. Father, what we do now, may we know your blessing so that the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts will prove pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And all God's people said, Amen. During a uh, Covenant College board meeting in March of 2011, uh, I received a, a call from my cardiologist. He called to tell me that some tests I had recently had showed that one of the four bypasses I had received four months earlier, one of those bypasses had failed and more surgery was immediately necessary. So I returned to the meeting and I guess I looked somewhat concerned because the, uh, the chairman, knowing I had undergone open heart surgery, he interrupted the meeting to ask me if everything was okay. And counting these fellow trustees as family, I shared with them the news. And then immediately they gathered around me to lay on hands and pray. And for me, I'll never forget the prayer of Randy Neighbors, known to some of you, a good friend the former senior pastor at New City Fellowship in Chattanooga. This was Randy's brief but pointed prayer. Father, if you want him, take him. But not yet. I was grateful for the ending of that prayer. <laughs> now, I... Uh, I sincerely, deeply appreciate Randy's prayer. It's always stayed with me. It's a proper prayer. It's a good prayer. But I am just overwhelmed, awed. I don't even know the word to use. I am just awed by Jesus' prayer in John 17, as I hope you are also. Because here, as we shall see this morning, as we come to the end of our examination of the 17th chapter of John's gospel here, in John 17, verses 20 through 26, Jesus prays, Jesus prays, Jesus prays for you. He prays for me. Two weeks ago, you listened in verses 1 through 5 to, to God the Son asking God the Father to display their glory as the hour of Jesus' horrible death approaches. And then last week, you heard Jesus pray in verses 6 through 19 for the 11 disciples. And now this morning, here in verses 20 through 26, Jesus prays for all of you who have received by faith the message of the gospel proclaimed by 
his apostles and prophets through their spirit-inspired writings in Holy Scripture. So listen with me. Verses 20 through 26 of John 17. Listen as Jesus prays. As Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays, I do not ask, I do not pray for these, for the, for the 11 only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus praying for you. He begins by asking the Father that, that you, that you his people, that you may be one and look at what he says, one just as he and the Father are one. Now think about that. Jesus asks that you, his people, may be one just as he and the Father are one. Well, that's a just, it's an overwhelming idea. Now, I understand it at least a little, but by God's grace, I know what it means to be one with someone. For Linda and I, as husband and wife, we're one flesh. Our oneness supersedes all other human relationships. And furthermore, you'll remember that in Ephesians 5 verse 32, we're taught that our marriage, our marriage as well as your marriages, are to be a picture of what? They are to be a picture of the oneness of Christ and his church. Your marriage, our marriage, is to be a picture of the oneness of Christ and his church. In fact, Scripture teaches that you are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. You're the bride. You 
have an intimate relationship with Jesus because he first chose to love you and to show to you the full extent of his love by laying down his life on your behalf. And therefore, by God's grace, because he loves you, because he has shown you his love, by God's grace, your response is to love him. And by loving him, because he first loved you, you are one with him. And Jesus says, I mean, furthermore, Jesus says that being one with him, being one with Jesus, you are one with the Father. God the Father loves you, is one with you, you're one with him. And Scripture astonishingly teaches that he has loved you since before the foundations of the world were set into place. I mean, how overwhelming are the truths of Scripture? Just absolutely, I mean, they just leave me breathless. And I never want to pretend that I stand here saying to you, I understand that. I get that. I've got a perfect comprehension of what all that means. I don't, but I believe it. I believe it with all of my heart and soul and strength and mind. Because God loves you, God the Holy Spirit graciously blesses you with the saving knowledge that God the Son died to satisfy God the Father's just decree that the penalty for your sins should be eternal death. But it's because Jesus chose to love you, to die for you, that despite knowing God the Father's decree that the wages of sin is death, Romans 8 teaches that because Jesus loves you and that he died for you, you are freed from all condemnation. You're not freed from some condemnation. You're not freed from a little bit of condemnation. You're free from all condemnation. I struggle at times to believe that because at times I understand, I, at times I recognize, at times I'm overwhelmed by a, a sense of the idea that I deserve to be condemned. But scripture teaches you are free from all condemnation because Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins God, the creator of heaven and earth, the perfectly holy God, is at peace with you. God is at peace with you because of Jesus. 
And therefore you should be able to live your life at peace with him. Knowing you're at peace with him. Knowing that you're at peace with God because he loves you. Your response is to love him. And because because you love him. Because you love him who first loved you. You wholeheartedly commit yourself to living a life pleasing to him. That's what it means to be loved. That's what it means to love. It means to be radically committed one to the other. God is radically committed to you. Nothing will ever impact negatively God's radical commitment to you and our response to his love should be to love him and then to strive in his strength to live lives that are radically committed to him. Now listen, won't be, probably this won't come as a surprise to any of you, but I loved Linda before she loved me. Okay? I took this girl home to meet my family, and my father said to me, took me aside in his bedroom and told me, if you don't marry that girl, you're an idiot. (laughs) So I loved her before she loved me. Even uh, eventually, it took some time, she came to love me. And over the years, our love for one another has grown ever deeper. Well, likewise. Your love for the Lord should grow deeper with the passing of years. This this maturing of your love and commitment to the Lord is a process that the scripture calls sanctification. Now, by faith in Jesus, you are once and for all time justified, declared innocent and perfectly holy in God's sight. But having been justified... You are now, by God's grace, being sanctified, that is, maturing in your love and in your faithful service to him. I first loved Linda when I was 19. But now, after more than 51 years of marriage, I love her far more than I loved her then. By God's grace, I've learned with the passing of years to be a better husband. I've learned with the passing of years to serve her better than I did when we were first married. Isn't that right, honey? Yeah, okay, okay. Likewise, likewise, your love for the Lord and your commitment to please him in all you do and say should be growing stronger with every passing season of life. Jesus says, as he prays, that one way that your love for the Lord, your your commitment to the Lord, is to be seen is by your being one with your fellow believers. As he loves you, so you are to love one another. And together, being of one mind and heart concerning Jesus 
as you mature in your understanding of how to love and serve him, so likewise you learn more and more how to love and serve one another. Peter, Peter says, he tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, Peter tells us loving one another, being of one mind in your love for the Lord will mean that you will be sympathetic toward one another, you will be tender toward one another, and you will humbly serve one another. And all of this is so important. I mean, Jesus says, by your oneness with, Jesus says that by your oneness with one another, how important is this? Jesus says, by your oneness with one another, the world will know that you are his. They will know you are his as they witness your visible and radical love for him as seen in your love for one another. You know, <laughs> it's easy to say. It's easy to say. I love Jesus. I did nothing difficult about making that statement. But the reality of that statement, Jesus says, the reality of that statement will be seen in your love for one another. Now, look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus tells the Father that he has given to you, Jesus says he has given to you the glory the Father gave him during his earthly ministry. Did you hear that? Jesus says that he has given to you the glory that was his during his earthly ministry. Believer, Jesus gives you the supernatural ability to blaze with the glory with which his earthly life blazed. God the Holy Spirit empowers you to live lives that visibly display his glory to others through your words, your deeds, your attitudes. Just meditate upon that. Jesus intends your life to be for others a glimpse of God's glory. By God's enabling grace, your words, deeds, and attitudes should illuminate for others the reality of who God is. I mean, literally, to be a Christian is to be a little Christ. Seeing you, knowing you, others should catch a glimpse of Jesus. And it's to this end that Jesus prays in verse 23. Look at verse 23. Jesus prays that we, you and me, that we, look at his words, that we might become perfectly one. Jesus' words that, that we might become perfectly one it at least suggests to me that being one in heart and mind with our Lord and being one in heart and mind with one another is a goal toward which we must continually strive. I mean, clearly. I mean, clearly. We have not yet 
become perfectly one. I'm going to bet there are some tensions in this congregation. I'm going to bet that there are some people in this congregation that you really don't like quite as much as you like some other people in this congregation. I believe that's to be true because that's true of every congregation. Clearly, we haven't yet become perfectly one, but we are to constantly strive after this goal. The goal, a goal that, that is worthy of our most strenuous efforts. Now, I wanted to be a shortstop. I love baseball. I have suspicions about any sport in which you have to put air in the ball. I love baseball. I wanted to be a shortstop. I worked at it diligently. I'd find someone willing to hit me ground ball after ground ball. It was important to me. But of course, all of that is of little importance to the goal of obtaining the oneness with others for which Jesus prays. Now, you know, Learning to field ground balls is not always easy. I mean, sometimes they take bad hops and sometimes you just simply muff the play. Well, likewise, because of your besetting sins, oneness is not a goal easily achieved. Sometimes there are bad hops in relationships and sometimes you simply muff the play. But oneness is a goal that you must keep before you as you look to the Lord for the strength and ability to fulfill his holy purpose of displaying through you for the world to see his glory. Jesus also prays in verse 23 that for you to be one with him, with the Father, with one another, Look at verse 23. He prays, so that the world will know, will know what? That the Father loves you as he loves the Son. Now think about that. I mean... I somewhat understand Linda's love for me. But Jesus says, the Father loves you as he loves the Son. The Father loves you as he loves the Son. Jesus tells me that the Father loves me as he loves, well, how can that be? Well, I'll try to answer that question in just a moment. But before answering that question of how it can possibly be that the Father loves me even as he loves Jesus, look, look at verse 24. In verse 24, Jesus expresses to his Father his desire that you might be with him. Now, some of you will remember that earlier that evening in John 14, which was my grandfather McCutcheon's favorite chapter in all of scripture 
Earlier that evening in John 14, Jesus promises his disciples that he's leaving them to prepare a place for them so that they might be with him always. Believer, despite your errors, despite all those times you may muff the play, be humbled to know that Jesus desires you to be with him and is even now preparing a place for you so that you might see his glory, so that you might see, as we sang just, just a little while ago, so that you might see the king of glory passing on his way. Wow. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. In this world, we see dimly. But Jesus asks the Father that one day we might see him face to face, see him as he is, see him in all of his glory. So finally, in verses 25 and 26, Jesus tells the Father that though the world doesn't know him, Jesus knows him and knows that his name, look at this, knows that his name is Righteous Father. Jesus knows that the Father is righteous. That is, what does that mean? It means that the Father is the one who not only always does what is right, he is the one whose very being defines right and wrong. The world has its own ideas about right and wrong. But it is the Lord, the righteous one, who teaches you what is truly right, truly wrong. Now, knowing the Father is righteous, Jesus, knowing the Father is righteous, knowing that the Father always does what is right, knowing that the Father's purposes are always right, as Jesus prays that, he knows what that means for him. Because he knows that the Father has righteously decreed that the penalty for sin is death. And therefore, Jesus knows that he must die. That Jesus, that God the Father's righteous purpose for God the Son is that he must die to pay the penalty for sin. Which is why he humbled himself to become a man. He came, the sinless one, to pay the penalty for his people's sins so that by his death he might satisfy the Father's righteous justice and procure for you peace with, Father, peace with the Father and, and the gift of eternal life. Now, now note further, believer, that Jesus says that though the world does not know him, you know him. You know who he is. You know why the Father sent Jesus into the world. You know all of this because God, the Holy Spirit of glory, has given you eyes to see and hearts to believe and wills to obey. And you also know, you're well aware of how much you still have to learn. And therefore, be delighted to hear Jesus in verse 26 assure the Father 
that he will continue, that Jesus will continue to make known to you the Father's name. Now remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Knowing someone's name means you know much about them. Already you do know a great deal about God. You know that he's both just and gracious. You know that he's merciful and therefore he sent his son to die for you. And you know, you know, I pray to God you know, wonder of wonders, you know that he loves you even as he loves the son. All this you know. I hope and pray. You still have much to learn. And in verse 26, Jesus assures you that he will continue to increase with every passing year your understanding of who he is and of the profound depths of his love for you. Believer, God loves you. Why does God love you? Well, clearly not because on your own you're worthy of his love. And clearly not because of what you have done or can do. Father loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And the reason the Father loves you is because of Jesus, the one who shows you the full extent of his love by dying for you, the one who promises that having conquered the grave, you will never die. Your, your physical existence in this world may cease if the Lord doesn't first return, but when your physical existence ceases, you'll be with the Lord. You'll be immediately in his presence. And no, I don't know all of what that means. That's all the scripture really says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Someday we'll find out all of what that means. But until that day, until that day when your body ceases to exist until that day of the final resurrection when Jesus returns, Jesus promises he will be with you always, will never stop loving you, will never let you go. By grace, you've embraced Jesus as Savior, Lord, and King. You are one with him. Romans 6 teaches, teaches us what it means to be one with him. It means that when Jesus died, you're one with him. When Jesus died, you died to sin's curse and power. And when Jesus rose from the dead, you rose to newness of life. Instead of being dead in your trespasses and sins, you're alive in him, you're one with him, and through him, one with the Father, the Father who loves you even as he loves the Son. As I said this morning, when I began this morning, I greatly appreciated Randy's prayer for me in my hour of need. 
But I'm simply overwhelmed by Jesus praying for me as he approaches his hour of humiliation. I hope you'll go back and read this 17th chapter of John often and be overwhelmed to listen as Jesus prays. And as you come to these closing verses, listen as Jesus prays for you. And if you, like me, are overwhelmed to know that you are loved by the triune God, then join me in expressing your love and commitment to serve and honor him by singing together with those you love, with those you are striving to be one. Let us sing together the hymn of my alma mater, Covenant College, all for Jesus. First, let's pray. Father, teach us, teach us these truths. May they dwell richly within us. Father, you teach us, you, you pray truths that we cannot begin to fully comprehend or understand. But in these truths, we will rest and we will look to you to give us ever fuller and, and deeper understanding. But Father, this may we be assured of. You love us. You laid down your life for us. You will never leave us or forsake us. No man can pluck us out of your hand. You are with us now and forever. Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.